The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading from today comes from Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. In 2013 through 2014, a company called Theranos which combines therapy and diagnosis, Theranos, had the appearances and the reputation of being a breakthrough technology healthcare company. Uh, Since its founding in 2003 by Elizabeth Holmes, who was 19 at the time, the company had raised more than $700 million from venture capitalists and private investors. The company, at its peak, was valued at over $9 billion. Theranos claimed that it had created blood tests that only needed small amounts of blood, which sounds amazing. Uh, No more needles in the arm, Uh, just a little prick in the finger. I'm all for that. As someone who's prone to fainting, I'm all for it. I can never look at my arm when they're doing it, right? Sounds amazing. Theranos was the next big thing. It was hyped by politicians on both sides of the aisle. It was hyped by media. It was hyped by investors to be this breakthrough. I mean, it just sounded too good to be true. Well, it was. It was too good to be true. Basically, they couldn't do what they claimed that they could do. Uh, They lied, they misled, and by June 2016, it was estimated that Holmes' personal net worth had dropped from $4.5 billion to basically nothing. Uh, In September 2018, the company ceased operations. If you would like to know more about this train wreck, there is a great documentary and podcast that I would recommend. But in 2013 and 2014, public did not have the vision to see the incongruence between the reputation of Theranos and the reality of Theranos. We did not have the vision to see. Uh, Outwardly, it had all the signs of success, but inwardly, there was nothing of substance. Reputation verse reality. Well, in our text today, 
in verse 1, Jesus says to the church at Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. The church had the reputation or the name of being alive. Um, Sardis had a great reputation. It would have been held in high regard from other churches and other people from within the city. Uh, when someone looks at the church of Sardis on the outside, they say, man, look at this successful church. Look at the, the vibrancy. This is a model for other churches to follow. God must be doing something powerful at the church of Sardis. He must be moving there. This could be the church that has multiple services because they're growing so fast. They have a huge budget. They just built a state-of-the-art community center. They put out a worship album that's at the top of the charts. They have finely tuned programming and a professional social media presence. I mean, heck, the pastor was just on Good Morning America talking about his new best-selling book. And the church is having a leadership conference next fall that other churches definitely are not going to want to miss. What a reputation. What success. It all looks so good. Right? But Jesus sees what we don't. Despite the reputation, the reality is this church is spiritually unconscious. Jesus says you have the reputation, you have the name of being alive, but you're spiritually dead. Jesus is described to us in verse 1 as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, what does this reveal to us about Jesus? Well, the seven stars equal the seven angels over each church. If you remember, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is holding the seven stars in his right hand. It's an image of sovereignty. It's an image of rule and power over the unseen spiritual realm. He's able to see what we cannot we are often blinded by our culture's vision of success. We are often blinded by outward appearance. We cannot see into the heart of the thing, to its substance, because of our limitations often. Right? But the triune God does not have these limitations. In Isaiah 1, do you remember what God says to his people? He says, what to me are your, are your sacrifices? Your incense, it's an abomination to me. The, the feasts that you have to celebrate me, I, I, I hate them. In Matthew 15, do you remember what Jesus says to the religious leaders? He says, they honor God with their lips, but what? Their hearts are far from him. They are like whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a tomb. There's just death. Whew. These are strong words. 
God looks past all the activity. He looks past all the success. He looks past all of the religious activity, right? And he says, when was the last time that any of it was done for me? So you may ask, well, what is this spiritual death in Sardis? What does it consist of? Why are they spiritually dead? What's going on in this congregation? What's, what's happened? Um, well, if you look at the text, you'll see that we don't really get specifics. Um, we don't get specifics to the precise problem, but we do know something a little bit about Sardis. Um, we do know that there would have been pagan idolatry in Sardis. But we do know that there was a very vibrant Jewish community in Sardis that most likely had accommodated their faith to have cultural influence, to have uh, comfort, to be in a place of prominence in the society. So it's, it's very likely that like the other churches that we've read about, and Jonathan has preached on these series, that the spiritual death of the church of Sardis is that they have completely compromised to the culture around them. They have completely compromised to the culture around them. They have accommodated, they have shaped their faith in such a way that it's no faith at all. Uh, they have no distinct witness to Christ because that would challenge their comfort. That would challenge the position that they're in. Um, The thing that I think is so scary about this is that they don't even know it. They, They don't even realize it. They don't see it. They're just like everyone else. They're just like everyone else. But Jesus sees it. Um, Jesus, in verse 1, is also described as having the seven spirits of God. Uh, The situation is bad in Sardis, but it's not hopeless. Why? Because here Jesus is described as having the full power of the Holy Spirit. The spirit that raised him from the dead. Uh, The spirit that can awake the sleeping. Uh, The spirit that can soften the hardest of hearts. The, The spirit that can give sight to the blind. Jesus has the full power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is the great physician who sees that his church is on their deathbed. Yet... By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's the great physician who is able and powerful enough to heal, to bring new life. It, it may look hopeless, it may be bad, but it's not hopeless because of who Jesus is. Jesus is the great physician that knows the medicine they need, he knows the surgery that they need. 
well, what's that medicine? What's the, the surgery that this church at Sardis needs? This church that is on their spiritual deathbed. A church that has all but completely compromised the gospel message. Well, look at verses 2 and 3 with me. What does Jesus say to them? Jesus says in verse 2, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you won't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Once again, strong words. In the 6th century B.C. in Sardis, uh, Sardis was the capital of King Croesus of the Lydian kingdom. And King Croesus uh, was very wealthy. And his security was not only found in his wealth, but his security was found in his fortress that was surrounded on three sides by sheer cliffs that were seen to be impenetrable. Right. Um, to capture the Acropolis of Sardis became a saying for attempting to do the impossible. You won't be able to capture it. It's impossible. Well, if you are tempted to incorporate this saying into your regular vocab, uh, not so quick. Uh, the security and the confidence of the city was misplaced. Eventually, the Persians came. And first, they caught them off guard on the battlefield. And then, they caught them off guard again by having a few soldiers climb this wall, this cliff that couldn't be climbed, and there were no guards stationed there. And they quickly took the city. They were caught off Guard. Later, the city would be caught off guard again by Antiochus the Great because of its lack of vigilance. Why do I say all that? The church has not learned the lesson from its city. In fact, they are a, they are a mirror image of the city in which they live. Um, they mirror the city in their overconfident, lethargic state. They have misplaced their security just like the city. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, wake up. Wake up. You need to remember the faith that you received. You need to turn from the way that you're living. You need to repent because if you don't, there will be a judgment that catches you off guard just like your city was caught off guard. What's the medicine? Maybe a medicine that we're surprised to hear Jesus say. The medicine that Jesus gives this church as they lie on their deathbed is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call through a warning. 
Look what he says. He says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. We see this imagery elsewhere in the New Testament. And what does it point to? It points to judgment. It's pretty clear. This is, this is judgment language. Um, so does this make you feel uneasy? Uh, it, it does for me. Um, here is Jesus giving his church a word. And what's the word? It's a word of warning. Uh, that probably doesn't sit well with us. But if we are going to wrestle with the words of Jesus, with the words of the whole Christ, nothing but the Christ, then we have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with these words. And I think that the often quoted Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, is a helpful guide as we think through this words. He's been a helpful guide for me. Listen to what Spurgeon says, because I think it's good. Spurgeon says, if God has put these warnings into Scripture, then he has put it in there for wise reasons and for excellent purposes. Spurgeon says, you want to know the reason? You want to know the purpose? Well, let me tell you. He says, these words of warning are put in there to keep you from falling away, Christian. God preserves his children from falling away from the faith, and he does so by the use of means. And one of these means is by showing his people what would happen if they were to fall away. He says, imagine there's a deep precipice, and what is the best way to keep anyone from going down there? It's to tell them that if they did, they would inevitably be dashed to pieces. In some old castle, there's a deep cellar where there's a vast amount of fixed air and gas which would kill anybody who went down. What does the guide say? If you go down, you will never come up alive. Who thinks of going down? The very fact of the guide telling us what the consequences would be keeps us from it. Do you see? Now, this is really good what Spurgeon says here. Spurgeon says, God says, my child, if you fall over this precipice, you will be dashed to pieces. What does the child do? They say, Father, keep me. Hold me up, and I shall be safe. It leads the believer to greater dependence upon God to holy fear and caution, because they know that if they were to fall away, they could not be removed. And they stand far away from that great gulf. They stand far away from the precipice because they know that if they were to fall into it, there would be death. You see, for those who don't love Jesus, who don't see him as Lord of their life, who don't have a genuine faith that leads to love and obedience, the warning doesn't have any grounding because they don't believe his words. His words don't have any weight to them. He doesn't have any authority in their life. He's not their Lord. 
But for those of us who love and trust Jesus but have gone astray, these warning passages draw us back to God like a child running back to the arms of their father after seeing the danger of going their own way. After seeing the danger of going out on their own. There are times where they think, if I go my own way, if I go out on my own, if I can just live for myself, then there will be life. And I will have joy and, and happiness. But when the child sees the danger, when, when the child sees what it would look like to fall away from the protection and the security and the love of the father, comes running back to the father. He clings to the father and is closer than he ever was before. We sing, he will hold us fast. And he will. That is such a glorious truth. And this is one of the ways that he does it. Through these words of warning. By the Spirit, we hear them. We're drawn closer to them, to him. And we repent of our sin. For the great physician, as, as he looks down on his church, and as he sees so many on their spiritual deathbed, gives this word of warning. Um, gives this word to call them to repentance, to shake them from where they are. But he also looks down, as the great physician, and he sees that there are other individuals. There are other individuals in the church who have been faithful. And they need a different medicine. They need a different medicine. Look at Revelation verses 4 through 6 with me. We'll start with verse 4. He says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You see, while the majority had compromised, there are a few faithful. Uh, they are worthy because they've not soiled their garments. And what does that mean? Uh, the word soiled is also used in chapter 14 of Revelation, and it's to describe those who participate in pagan and idol worship. And so here are people in the church who have not done that. Uh, here are people who have not compromised their faith. Uh, they witness to Christ through their words and their deeds, even if that means great cost to themselves. Um, and he knows the words that they need to hear and, and the medicine that they need for their souls. It's words of assurance and promise. It's words of assurance and promise and security. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The title for this sermon is The Name. 
the name. Uh, throughout this letter to the church at Sardis, there's a wordplay using the Greek term onoma for name. The church has a reputation, a name for being alive, but they're dead. Jesus says that here are a few names, people who are faithful. Jesus says he will never erase their name from the book of life. Jesus will confess their name before his Father and before the angels. There was a benediction that was used in the synagogues around this time. And the benediction was a curse for all those who would bear witness to Christ, to all those who would follow him. It said this. It said, May the Nazarenes perish and be blotted from the book of life. Be blotted from the book of life. And with the righteous not be inscribed. Think about this. Some of these faithful individuals at Sardis most likely heard this curse read about them. Um, most of these individuals that are faithful at Sardis, uh, it's very possible that when they profess Christ, their name was removed from the synagogue's register. They were so, socially ostracized. And not only would they have been removed from the synagogue, but they also would have faced persecution in Sardis because they wouldn't have been under the synagogue's protection anymore. Here are people who have faced rejection because they bear the name of Jesus. Here, who's, here are people whose name has been drugged through the mud, who has suffered greatly and experienced many trials for the name of Christ. And here, what's the medicine that Jesus gives them? What's the word that he says to them? He says, I will never erase your name from the book of life. I will not reject you. You appear to be so vulnerable, but you have such a greater security than you can ever imagine. Your name is written in the book of life. Your name's written in the book of life. The book of life appears five other times in the book of Revelation. And the book of life contains the names of true believers. Those who have salvation and a future in God's new world. And the security of these names, of these people, is revealed by the fact that these names have been inscribed on the book, in the book, before the foundation of the world. What security? And Jesus has the authority to speak this, to say this, to give this word to these people because it's his book. He is the lamb who was slain for each individual name. So they need not fear on the day of judgment. For their name is inscribed in the book of life. 
as they look upon their misdeeds, as they look upon the rejection, as they look upon everything that they've lost, as they go and they're tired and they're worn out and they're doubting and they're questioning, Jesus says, hear these words. See this security. See the reality of your name. Your name might not be great in the world around you, but your name's written in the book of life. Your name is written in the book of life. You, though your misdeeds, though your failures have been washed, have been clothed in white garments that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus also promises them something else in these verses. Do you know what it is? He promises that he will confess their name before the Father. He will confess their name. Does this remind you of anything? Does this remind you of any other Jesus' words? Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Luke 12, 28. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. There, there's this mutual confession going on. If you acknowledge my name, I will acknowledge yours. And I think we get a powerful picture of this mutual confession in the stoning of Stephen. Do you remember the stoning of Stephen? Stephen, in Acts 7, has just borne witness to Christ from the Scriptures. And after he does that, the, the crowd that hears and stands accused if they do not repent, they're filled with rage. And right before they rush him, God affirms and acknowledges Stephen. God reveals himself to him by the power of the Spirit. And Stephen says what? Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And what happens? The crowd hearing this, they rush him and they take him to kill him. And as the rocks crush his body, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he says something remarkable. I've been meditating on this all week. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. Stephen is facing unimaginable rejection. Stephen is facing unimaginable suffering. Stephen is experiencing violence towards him. And he what? He sees reality. He sees the glory of God. He sees the true identity of Jesus Christ in power. And he experiences the acceptance and the approval of God. So the rejection does not have power over him. He sees the spiritual reality. And with this reality, he's empowered to do what? To trust God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he has the power to do what? 
to love his enemies even as they literally kill him. With this vision of intimacy, with this vision that echoes Jesus' own words from the cross, we hear him speak words of trust and words of sacrificial love. I believe that if we are shades to be a church that bears witness to Jesus during this time, if we are to be a people that bear witness to him, not only with our words, but with our actions, if we are to be a people that lay the concerns that we have about our own reputation, to lay the concerns that we have about our own name aside and to lift up his name no matter what he costs no matter what it costs us if we are to be that people then we need to experience the intimacy that we have with God we need to hear the acceptance and the improve and the approval that we have before him if we are to remain faithful if we are to persevere if we are to lay our comfort aside, if we are to be willing to look into our own hearts and see where have we compromised with the culture around us, if we can take a step back, if we can lay aside our defensiveness for one second, and if we can sit in humility and ask, God, where is my heart? Where have we at Shades Valley compromised? If we can do that, then I believe God will empower us to bear witness to him. Faithfully, I believe he will empower us to persevere to the end. So, gracious Heavenly Father, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that anyone who is listening who is spiritually dead would wake up. Those who have turned from you, those who have turned their backs on you and are walking in a different direction, may they hear your word of warning and may they run to you. And there may they be met with mercy and grace and compassion. May they know that, that you wait for them with arms stretched out. Your desire is that they would repent. And for those of us who have been bearing witness to your gospel in our communities, in this culture, and have faced resistance, have faced uncertainty, and we're tired, and we're confused, Father, may you breathe your spirit into us, may you encourage us, and may you show us the name that we have in Jesus Christ the identity that we have in Jesus Christ, the future that we have in Jesus Christ, the security that we have in Jesus Christ. And may that empower us to go out into the world and to continue the fight, to continue to persevere to the end because our end is only the beginning, only the beginning of a future with you, a future that is secure, not because of our works, but because of the blood 
of the Lamb who will one day purify us and clothe us in white garments to enter into shalom. Only you can do this. Do this now for your glory and your church's good. Amen. Amen.